Hello, all the listeners. My name is Minna Seikkula, and today we are at the Swedish School podcast studio with Professor Suvi Keskinen. And uh, soon we are going to talk about a, a new book by her. But before that, uh, warmly welcome Suvi. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you, Minna. I'm very glad to be here today talking about the research and, and the new book. And uh, so I'm Suvi Keskinen. I'm a professor of uh, ethnic relations at the Swedish School of Social Science at the University of Helsinki. And I also lead the project Intersectional Border Struggles and Disobedient Knowledge in Activism that is responsible for this podcast or producing this podcast. Yes, and you have recently come out with a new book, Mobilizing the Racialized Others, Post-Ethnic Activism, Neoliberalization and Racial Politics. Whoa, that's like many big words and I think we will unpack it uh, soon. But so the, the book um, is by, uh, that has just come out is by Routledge and maybe we could start by, you could just briefly tell everyone what, what the book is essentially about. Yes, that's actually a good idea because most people don't know what post-ethnic activism is about and that's also the reason why, uh, well, first the subtitle was the main title and then I kind of realized that, oh, in order to reach out for people, it needs to have a main title that is a bit more like descriptive of, of what it's about. So the So the main title is Mobilizing the Racialized Others. Yes, yes. So that main title is there to kind of uh, explain what it's about. And, and that's basically what the book is about, about the kind of activism where the racialized position as non-white or other in the Nordic countries is the one that people gather around and, and mobilize and um, create different kinds of activities in media spaces or urban spaces or in feminist groups, for example, or so forth. So what they think is uniting them is that they are racialized as non-white or others instead of, for example, the kind of uh, ethnic uh, um, group membership as, as Kurdish youth or Somali youth, which like might be something that people identify with, but the kind of activism that I've been interested in is is crossing these kind of ethnic divisions and to some extent racial divisions and, and religious divisions as well. And that has been my interest perhaps in it. How, how do we cross these kind of, of uh, differences and divisions and what kind of grounds for, for political action does that then create? Before I let you go more Uh, into that, maybe just a minor note, or maybe it's not minor, just the listeners aren't able to see and hear that That also here, mobilizing the racialized others, others is in inverted commas. But yeah, sounds very exciting. So what are, what are the crowns for this kind of uh, uh, organizing across the different different categorizations based by ethnicity what what are what are the activists doing uh, yeah. that you write about in the book yeah well in some sense some other researchers have called this anti-racist act 
activism, but why I've actually wanted to distinguish from, from that kind of research and instead talk about post-ethnic activism is because this, uh, well, the field of anti-racism is, is very broad and it can include all kinds of, of different activism. Also, the kind of movements where white people are in majority and directing the, the activities. And I kind of wanted to especially then, then focus on what happens when you, like, on this kind of self-organizing by, by the racialized uh, minorities or those racialized as others in the Nordic region. And uh, instead of kind of thinking that, oh, they're all the same and it's kind of uh, one post-ethnic identity, for example, that Fatima El-Tayyib, a researcher who I have been very much, whose work I have been very much inspired by, she discusses post-ethnic uh, identity. But I thought already when starting this research that it's not about one kind of activity or one kind of uh, activism or uh, even identity. I think it's about different kinds of mobilizations, different kinds of activism, and I've instead actually in the book then analyzed what is the common around which then people mobilized. And based on this analysis, I then have distinguished between like five main forms of this kind of activism. Uh, first of all, the anti-racist uh, uh, feminism and queer of color activism, which is the uh, largest, one could say, uh, form of activism in all the three Nordic countries that I've studied, Sweden, uh, Denmark and Finland. And then the second form of uh, post-ethnic activism is built around urban activism in the marginalized and, and racialized uh, residential areas especially in Sweden and to some extent in Denmark, not so much in Finland, but there's, there's quite a broad movement in, in Sweden and, and to some extent in, in Denmark as well. And then the third form of, uh, of this kind of activism is uh, built around the, the black or the African diaspora experience, which is also widespread in all the three, three countries. And then there's this kind of Muslim activism. This is the fourth, the kind of Muslim activism that uh, takes up questions of uh, of uh, anti-Muslim racism or Islamophobia, whichever is is what it's called. And then the fifth, the the main form that I have identified is then built around or the common is understood as as uh, being people of color or persons of color, and that often takes the form of uh, this kind of social media activism, but also all kinds of events. And, and it's a category that, that people identify with, perhaps especially in Finland, I would say, compared to the two other, other uh, countries where I've, I've done research. But then there are also more like marginal or marginalized uh, ways of understanding the common, for example, thinking about the common as more of this kind of in-betweenness or being Creole or, or this kind of between different kinds of categories. And, and uh, that is, uh, well, and also mixedness, the idea of, of being mixed. For example, in Finland, we have uh, mixed Finns and an Instagram uh, account where, where young people 
post all kinds of discussions about racism and anti-racism, partly about their own own stories, but also popularizing knowledge about racism and anti-racism. So these are not so common, but they do exist and, and are like a bit different ways of, of understanding the common as, as I see it. Sounds wonderful. I was thinking, like, for for someone who's listening and and uh, is not so aware of maybe these forms of of activism or action. You mentioned Instagram accounts and and um, a kind of providing knowledge on on different themes. But is there something else? Like, what 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 are the activists actually doing? Would you have some concrete examples? Maybe like. Um, through the five five different example samples you had, mm. what kind of things they do? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. They do a lot of things, and that has been maybe one of the difficulties with the research that it's so widespread, and there are a lot of things happening, and there are always new things coming up. But I would say that I mean part of this activism is is quite much inspired and also takes uh, shape through social media instagram and and facebook groups and and different kinds of of events that are organized or at least informed about through through social media but this is uh, often not well sometimes it's the only only form of activism but often this is combined with different kinds of meetings and and uh, well at least before the the covid-19 t- uh, times it was a lot about organizing uh face to face meetings and and events and and all kinds of uh coffee uh sessions and and whatever um seminars to to discuss matters and and so forth but also of course demonstrations and uh and uh publishing different kinds of of texts um not only on social media but but also like other kinds of texts but there's also a broad um, like uh, art scene one could say or cultural scene that is connected to partly the anti-racist feminist and, and queer uh, of color activism but also the urban activism has a, has a very strong like cultural cultural uh, part, for example, organizing these kind of uh, spoken word poetry competitions in in uh, Sweden for, for five years. There's one organization that has been doing that. And well, for a while it was also a bit uh, laid down, but, but now it's uh, continuing with these activities called Förenade uh, Förruta, the United Suburbs, and it's really quite a massive kind of activity that that uh, people have been doing in different different marginalized uh, uh, residential areas in in Sweden, and doing this yearly for 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 five years with very little. Uh, like economic resources and and like a lot of a lot of voluntary work and and so forth so quite impressive activities that people are doing yes and at times this also translates as as demands towards the broader society if i understand correctly yes yes of course i mean some of the Some of the groups are more like, in that sense, one could say, like traditional social justice movements that they they uh, provide a list of, of of demands to the government or for local municipalities. 
for example, in the in the uh, marginalized uh, suburbs to increase the the situation of of people living there and and for example in in Sweden to to prevent the the lethal violence um, and and these kind of uh, like groups who have a very clear like uh, political agenda in that sense like demands to to different authorities and other people with power in 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 the society to change things so obviously these activists are doing something uh, very important and timely in the nordic societies what does it then mean to do research uh, about it um wh- what do you how would you describe the the impact of of your research or how you vision it yes it's always difficult to to know what what kind of uh, effects research has i think well for me i mean this was a project that took for for five years and actually like uh, uh even pub- publishing it has has uh, it has taken some some time and in that sense some of the activities that i have uh, uh studied have been laid down and people have moved on to do new things so i think that one of the important tasks with research is still to document what has been going on and and to have a look at uh, at this kind of uh, broader picture in this sense um, looking at the different kinds of of activism uh, together is quite rare i think i mean other researchers have quite often studied like one of these forms of activism anti-racist feminism or urban movements but as far as i know nobody else has has like taken this kind of huge task to put it all all together and i think that's a valid perspective because you can see both the similarities between the the groups but also the differences and also see it like uh, like this kind of multitude in in that sense a, a broad um, and and varied movement if one wants to call it a movement i don't know if if everybody wants to see it in that way but but anyway you can see that there are a lot of different uh forms but there's still like a common mission i would say or or like a common analysis of the of the nordic countries about its uh racial hierarchies its class hierarchies to some extent and gender hierarchies and and uh, the way that racism is is characteristic for the nordic countries is is like an analysis that that all of these groups share in in a bit different ways some start more from the individual experiences and group experiences others from a more like uh, maybe somewhat more theoretical uh, analysis but i think what they share is is still pretty Oh, I hope that I have been able to capture that in the book and and for also both for the people involved, but also for other people outside who possibly don't know so much about these these kinds of groups to to see how the different forms uh, relate to each other and what kind of aims and and goals and analyses they have, and also what kind of visions and and dreams because the last. The last uh, chapter is about stories and and images and and uh, imaginaries in that sense. What, what kind of societies and what would we 
want to achieve with, with this kind of activism. So I think documenting is, is one uh, reason. The other is, is putting it all together and, and for people to see perhaps connections that are not so easy to see in the midst of the everyday activism. And also, I would say, not all of these groups know so much about the other groups in the other countries. And, and, and there's, I think that's at least what it allows for, for uh, also those who are involved in activism to, to maybe see themselves in a, in a bigger picture that they might agree with or they might disagree with you never never know how people think about it but but that has been my aim and of course as a researcher my aim has also then been to to kind of make a, make a scientific analysis of this which might be a bit different kind of of aim than the aim that I wanted it to be accessible and, and readable for, for also those who participate in activism. But both parts are there, at least intentionally. So let's see what people think about the outcome then. Yeah. Have you had the chance, the book came out very recently, but have you had the chance to have conversations with, with those uh, people involved in, in the various kind of activism that the book now very nicely Uh, gathers together between the same covers? Yes, well, I have uh, sent out information to people who, um, who participated in, in, the, in the book and the, the interviews and uh, some of them have had the time to read it or at least parts of it and have, have responded, but but most people obviously haven't really gone through it, but they have said that they're, they're like uh, glad to hear about it and and that that it's out out now and and uh, that the research is important and so forth so like more detailed uh, discussions uh, we haven't had but hopefully after the summer i think there could be some some like events to actually discuss it and of course individual people may always come back and and, and provide some some thoughts like in that sense So those discussions are maybe yet to come. So you've mentioned uh, it's the past five years you've uh, been doing this research. And I was just wondering, would you like to say something about what kind of moment it has been to look into these maybe various forms of, of activism? Is this something new or is this more like a continuation of a longer time development? Or how would you characterize it like time-wise? your work yeah yeah i think this uh like uh, the last 10 years have have been like a really in the nordic countries especially have been like a time when this kind of activism has really flourished and actually in finland we can say that when i wrote this research plan and, and was uh, planning to do the research i thought oh let's see what we can do <laughs> with the research in finland because it was There was very little of this kind of activism ten years ago in, in Finland. But uh, well, what has happened during this time is that it has really, really a lot of groups and and a lot of media sites and and different kinds of activism ha have emerged during this time. So it has been like really a, a good opportunity, of course, to to follow that and and see 
see the way it has developed in Finland, in uh, Sweden, maybe there is a bit longer longer history, but even there, um, it seems that especially the last 10 years have been really a very active, active time. And Denmark obviously is, is a somewhat difficult context for, for this kind of activism because of the very harsh political cl- climate there. But even there, uh, there's uh, been like uh, more and more discussions about racism and anti-racism in the public sphere as well, not only like closed activist circles, but also in the public sphere. So, But I can also say that during the period I started doing 2015 in practice, this this research, so we are actually seven years to, to this date, but there has also been a difference in the terms that um, the beginning period, especially Let's say in Sweden, there was quite a lot of uh, understanding and interest towards uh, anti-racism and, and, and these kinds of uh, activist groups in, in uh, the public sphere, whereas the political climate even in Sweden has become more harsher during the, the last few years and especially since the last elections 2018. So... So many of the people I talked to actually have now later on said that yeah it was a it was a good time when you interviewed us things where where still we felt that there was some response to to what we were doing in the public sphere and and uh, it has been a bit more tricky in recent years so this kind of uh, hostility towards uh, migrants and racialized uh, minorities has been increasing uh, throughout Europe in, in, in a certain sense. And that also affects the way the activist groups are, especially like how they are reacted to or, 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 or what kind of response they receive in the public sphere. But of course, I think they have also had, had a big in, impact. And, and in Finland, for example, brought these questions of whiteness and structural racism and uh, everyday experiences of everyday racism to the to the media and, and uh, public sphere in a way that we didn't have earlier. I think we can very much like give the credit to the activists and the, the media uh, uh, actors within this field. Yeah, so they've done a great work and I guess For our listeners, it's also might be interesting to take into account that you you keep referring, or I hear that you keep referring back to this uh, history of maybe 10 years, um, because uh, maybe for some, think, thinking of these themes like anti-racist activism, black or African diaspora and POC activism, uh, What, what might come to mind is uh, the Black Lives Matter movement a couple of years ago, but this is something like broader and older than, than that, would you say? Yes, yes, I would say that this is uh, in some sense a background to, to Black Lives Matter in the sense that there was a lot of work done, done before that, but of course Black Lives Matter was then maybe a kind of moment, a specific moment in the Nordic countries uh, especially that brought these questions very very uh, up front in mainstream media as well but but like uh, I think that this is is the kind of the activism that I've studied has been it has a longer history and it's more broad 
Some people uh, were active in the Black Lives Matter demonstrations and, and other activities who also participate in these, these other groups. But then there were also very new people, young people who just like felt that Black Lives Matter was something they wanted to, to organize around. So, so that's, um, I think that's a bit different kind, kind of, or at least includes a bit different kinds of groups. But, but there's a lot of like background work that, that many people have done for years before Black Lives Matter in the Nordic countries, especially that I'm talking about now. Yeah, so we've been talking about Suvi Keskinen's recent book, Mobilizing the Racialized Others by Routledge. And um, while Suvi has been doing this research uh, on on post-ethnic activism, we've also worked uh, in the same research project that um, has been partly organized around this notion of disobedient knowledge. And uh, would you like to start by briefly explaining your idea? So what do you think is disobedient knowledge? Yes, well, I thought actually I would say first that the book is open access on the internet. So if you just Google uh, the name, uh, you can find it. And you can read the book there. So just for those who are maybe interested in in digging deeper into this, you can have a look at it it on the internet. But yes, disobedient knowledge, uh, uh, I think um, in this context, we can think that that, uh, the knowledge that uh, the activists that I've I've, uh, Uh, participated in, in in my research, for example, so they create disobedient knowledge in the sense that they de-link, as, it, as the uh, term is, but meaning that they detach themselves or, or like uh, take a different kind of approach or go against the grain compared to this kind of mainstream knowledge about the Nordic societies being, being this kind of... Uh, humanitarian superpowers and gender equal and and so equal in in many other ways as well so they kind of start from their own lived experiences and and the analyses that have been created by by racialized minority communities and and also the the theoretical traditions uh, that uh, are not following these uh, these kinds of uh, mainstream theories or, or knowledges and and they kind of in that sense produce disobedient knowledge the kind of knowledge that is is uh, uh, starting from from another kind of experience and and, and creating uh, in this sense one could say creating alternative knowledge but of course there's also the perspective of alternative uh, creating alternative futures or practices or of societies or or so forth, that it's not partly it's about knowledge, but that knowledge does something. The idea with activism obviously is that it's it's about doing something and trying to create social change. So I would think that disobedient knowledge is is very much connected to to 
well, actions, not necessarily disobedient actions in the sense that that they would be uh, against the law or, or, or this kind of perspective, but they are going against the grain and, and, and like building on the knowledge that that uh, people who are racialized as, as um, non-white or others in our societies have. But the idea of, of uh, disobedient knowledge as we've discussed in the research project is that disobedient knowledge can also arise from different kinds of coalitional politics and, and like, uh, for example, anti-racist activism. One could think that there are possibilities also for for white people who participate in anti-racist activism to think about the knowledge that they have, to question it and, and to learn new things and and in that sense there's also like space for for other kinds of disobedient knowledge not just the ones that that arise from the experiences of of the racialized uh, others or those racialized as non-white maybe just really to kind of unpack it to our listeners so you talk about when you talk about disobedient knowledge you mention going against the crane So, and kind of maybe challenging some hegemonic narratives or or something, but where is the grain? Where where do we observe that? (laughs) I think all around us, (laughs) unfortunately. Yes. So Uh, it would be from school books to newspapers and and things like that. Yes, yes, obviously. It is also, I mean, partly school books and, and media narratives or, or discourses but it's also also in the universities in in the teachings at the university which is obviously not like uh, monolithic in the sense that that we do teach different things but of course researchers then then uh, and and uh, activists who have uh, thought about this in in more detail and and analyzed it have like pointed out that a lot of the knowledge production in in western universities comes from from uh white european or, or western dead men so to say but but there is this kind of canon what is is thought of as as knowledge and and it's built around a certain kind of social and and, and historical uh background and 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 uh certain kinds of processes and and it reflects certain parts of 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 uh, the um the world and and uh, uh in that sense certain kinds of experiences and and views on the world but then all kinds of other other perspectives are either marginalized or, or bypassed or, or not at least included in this knowledge canon so so that would uh require a lot of more work to to actually have this kind of pluriversality or, or the idea of different kinds of knowledge is how you can uh, actually grasp a broader and and more in-depth uh, understanding of the world. I think our time is soon, uh, ran, or we are soon running out of time, but maybe we could um, still, if you would like to, like to comment, um, maybe if there are some some lessons from from the work you you've now done or or your future plans would you like to comment 
one of the two or both as you prefer. Yes, well, perhaps uh, we could say that uh, we have this other book in process, which is edited by the two of us and, and our colleague uh, Amin Keng Atabong Alemanji. And, and that book will focus especially on disobedient knowledge and, and racism and, and border struggles. So, so we are, or we have invited uh, scholars from different European countries to, to think about these questions about what is disobedient knowledge and how does that take uh, shape in activism and, and what, what kinds of uh, disobedient actions are also, also needed and, and, and created uh, across Europe and its borders. So we are uh, working with that uh, edited volume currently and those who are interested in these topics can then can then uh, get more information and, and more thoughts, hopefully, about, about these questions when uh, reading about that book or listening to a podcast about that book. Yes, up and coming from Manchester University Press. Thank you for the conversation, Professor Suvi Keskinen. Thanks for letting us know about your new book, Mobilizing the Racialized Others by Routledge. And uh, just a quick reminder, also for our listeners, as Suvi previously brought up, uh, the book is open access online, so you can look it up. I warmly recommend. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much for the interesting conversation. Mm-hmm.